Hosea chapter 2, verse 19. Great to see Brother McBride here uh, tonight. He works at Roanoke. And we're in Alabama with Brother Stanley Manley. And we're having a revival in Roanoke, Alabama. We thank God for that. And the work of the pastor there and the church and folks from here. These are the words of the Lord to Israel and Gomer, the adulterous wife of the prophet Hosea. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. New Testament book of John chapter 3 verse 16. You may not even need to turn to this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I want to speak tonight on the relentless love of God. You may be seated. For the last several weeks we've been talking about relentless I preached about relentless as a message on a Sunday. Joshua's attitude of give me this mountain. 45 years have gone by. I'm still strong and able and relentless in my pursuit of the promises of God. I spoke on the relentless Jesus Christ as a son of God and his determination to not turn away from his call to the cross to commit his life as a ransom for many. Last Wednesday night I spoke on the relentless Apostle Paul that he followed after that he might apprehend that for which also he was apprehended of Christ Jesus. He forgot those things which were behind and pressed forward to the things which were before that he would reach the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was a relentless man in his pursuit of God. And when we talk about relentlessness, you know that it means to show no promise, no abatement of intensity, strength, or pace, that it is keeping on, keeping on. We learned last Wednesday night that the secret of continuing to be relentless is what the Lord taught us in the Old Testament, that you have to take the ashes of yesterday's fire out. Whether there are issues you're dealing with in your life, yesterday's victories and failures, You take the ashes of yesterday and carry them outside the camp and then you put another log on the fire. You burn a fresh fire to the Lord. But tonight I want to turn this thought around because my relentless pursuit of God is merely a response to His pursuit of me. We know that the Bible teaches us clearly, Isaiah 55, Seek ye the Lord while... He may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Jeremiah said in the Lord through the Lord through him and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things, food, shelter, the necessities of life will be added unto Him. Paul told the Athenians that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after Him and find Him though He be not far from every one of us. But again, it is the relentless love of God that sparks a relentless love in me. I did not seek Him first, but He sought me. So my passion for the Lord and His kingdom is simply a response of His love for me. His relentless love is the catalyst for my relentless pursuit of the Lord and His kingdom. Now we'll just kind of throw in here that in my personal life, I received the Holy Ghost at eight years old. I believe that I began a walk with God when I was 16. But I never knew my purpose in the kingdom of God. But 18 years old on a youth missions trip in Korea, the Lord let me know that it was a big world. And if I wanted to be involved in His kingdom, 
there was a place for me. I did not know what that place was. I would find that out in the next couple of years as I kind of went through those last teenage years and early adult years. But I found that God had a place for me and it fired me up. It kindled something in me that had never existed in my life. A passion for the kingdom of God that has been unabated since then because I want to relentlessly pursue the Lord. But because He is the initiator of the relationship, we are merely responding to what He did for us. It's almost impossible to really adequately describe God's love for us. The Apostle Paul described it in Ephesians 2 and 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, with His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ, by grace are you saved. He loved us, and John would tell us in 1 John chapter 3, Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how I'm able to wrap my brain around the love of God that He laid down His life for us. And then we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then probably the best known scripture in the Bible that was part of my text. But I want you to see it in the context of this relentless love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave. The love that God had was so great that it moved Him to action. I love the way Philippians describes, though being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he lowered himself. He took upon himself the form of a servant. To think that God Almighty reduced himself to a single cell to come to this earth to die for our sins, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John goes on to tell us, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The easiest thing for a God of justice, holiness, and perfection to do would have been to wipe it all out and to start anew. He certainly did not die on the cross because we were worthy, but because God loves in a dimension that we cannot comprehend, Jesus died for sinners. Paul would give his own testimony to say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Amen. From Genesis to Revelation, it is the relentless pursuit of God for man. He is in search for us. In Genesis, I hear the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day and saying to Adam, where are you? It is not Adam searching for God. It is God searching for Adam. It is Adam who has broken the relationship. It is God who has been violated. But it is God who takes the initiative to say, because I love you, I will search for you and find you. And of course, he slew animals and made coats and gave them an adequate covering. It is God in pursuit of man in the book of Genesis. But I see him again in Revelation 3 and 20 standing outside of the church that he purchased with his own blood. And Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, it's like the latch, the lock is on the inside. If any man open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. From Genesis to Revelation, it is God in relentless pursuit of man. And we are the recipients of a God who would not give up on us when no one else would have given a dime for our soul. It is the relentless love of God. Maybe the most vivid portrayal of God's relentless love for man is found in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a man of God. Hosea is a prophet. 
And prophets had weird assignments. I guess you could say it like that. They had to do some off-the-wall things to illustrate God's Word to His people. This is probably the most bizarre if you saw it from human terms. All right, holy man of God, I want you to marry a wife of whoredoms. If you study the commentaries, it's possible that Gomer, this strange name that we may associate with a male rather than a female in our day, but this woman Gomer, it's possible that she had never been physically adulterous, but it was at least in her heart. And God says to Hosea, Holy man of God, go marry a woman, take a wife of whoredoms. And there are going to be children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Hosea's name is like Jehoshua or Jesus. It is salvation or God is help. And Gomer's name means to finish or complete. You can see... Hosea, this preacher, this prophet, standing at the altar or however their marriage was performed. And they are making vows one to the other. I'll take you and you'll take me for as long as we both shall live, not as long as we both shall love. And they stand there and Gomer with sincerity of heart, excuse me, Hosea, with sincerity of heart, commits his life to Gomer till death us depart, and faithful to her unto death. Gomer, I don't know why she married him, but she mouths the words back to Hosea. Now you have to remember, this is not a parable, it is not an allegory, this is a real man marrying a real woman, but it is symbolic of what is taking place spiritually in the nation of Israel. Hosea represents God. Gomer represents unfaithful Israel. What happens in their marriage is being played out in real time in the nation of Israel. Hosea and Gomer have their first child conceived of their union. And God names him. He says that his name will be Jezreel for in a little while I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and the kingdom of Israel. So this first child is no doubt the product of the union of Hosea and Gomer. But in the second child, and I don't have it for the screens, but Hosea 1 and 6, and she conceived again and bare a daughter. Now, it does not say that she bore him a daughter. And if you study this out, you don't really know if this is Hosea's child or not. As I read through the passage itself, regardless of the diverse opinion of of theologians and commentaries, it would seem to me that she's the wife of whoredoms and there will be children of whoredoms. So it would kind of lend itself to believe that this second child who is a daughter, whose name is Lo-Rahama, is not Hosea's child. Her name means not having mercy, not having obtained mercy, or no pity. Here is this daughter, Lo-Rahama, of Gomer's, maybe Hosea's, we can't prove it. But she is straying in her heart. There is no paternity test. And, uh, but this child that is born of Gomer uh, has no mercy. God is saying this of Israel, but this is the child that is born. And I've learned that when a person commits spiritual adultery, they conceive things in their lives that are not of God. They do not have the DNA of God, the blessing of God. He cannot bless what he does not conceive. Hosea 1 and 8 tells us that after Lo-Rahama is weaned, that Gomer conceives again and bears a son. His name is Lo-Ami. And the Lord says in verse 9 of Hosea 1, For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. It would seem to me that you know, Lo-Ami is not Hosea's son. In fact, his name from the Hebrew literally means, I am not, I am to you. We know that God is the great I am to Israel. But the Lord is saying to Israel, because of your backsliding, your spiritual prostitution, I am not the great I am to you any longer because you have walked away from me. 
Think about this place of estrangement of Gomer to Hosea and Israel to God. God has, in effect, disowned Israel for her spiritual prostitution. In Hosea chapter 2, things turn ugly for this marriage. Gomer leaves the house. And the Lord says, Say to your brethren, Ami, and to your sister, Rohama, the shortened forms of their names, Plead with your mother. Beg your mother to come back, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries, adulteries, from, uh, adulteries out of her life. And he talks about the judgment that will come. Strip her naked and, and other things that will happen. For they be the children of whoredoms, for their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully, for she said, and here's the words of Gomer, I will go after my lovers that gave me my bread and my water my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. It's an amazing thing when a person walks away from God, they backslide, they forget all the blessings of God in their life. They forget how good God was to them. When Gomer was at home with Hosea, she didn't lack for any of those things. But somehow now she feels deprived in the relationship. Her eyes are wandering, her heart is turned away from her husband. And there she is out on the street seeking other lovers, thinking, if I could just get the right man, then I'd have everything I need to satisfy my needs. Embarrassment was the least of Hosea's problems. Hosea is a man who lives right. He's got a reputation in Israel. Gomer has now become a woman of the night, a prostitute. She's got a twisted understanding and a thirst for forbidden love. She thinks she's better off with other lovers that... Will provide. She says, I will go after them. They will provide my needs. She's chasing the wind, following after them. And God is not passive. And Hosea as a husband is not passive. And this is where throughout the book of Hosea you see God speaking to Israel and speaking of Gomer. And it kind of goes back and forth in the language. But this is God in His relentless pursuit of His people. The Lord says, and this is on the screens, Hosea 2 and 6. This is a really powerful prayer. And I want to say it now before you see it or as you're seeing it. That I believe this is a powerful prayer to pray for a backslidden child, an estranged spouse, someone who has walked away from God. The Lord says in Hosea 2 and 6, Therefore I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. So the Lord is saying, I'm going to make Gomer miserable. She's going to chase fulfillment in forbidden love, but I'm going to make it really hard for her. Every time she goes after a sinful relationship she's going to run into a briar patch. Every time she goes after an ungodly man, she's going to run into a thorn bush. And she's going to say, wow, this is a rough life. The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. We were designed by God to live in harmony with His Word. And when we violate the Word of God in our lives... It's a hard way to go. We're going against the grain of our divine design. So God makes it miserable for her. This is the prayer that is, I pray for backsliders. And I learned this prayer. It's not an original idea that I just discovered out of Scripture. But it is God's approach for reaching those who walk away from Him. And the Lord shows Hosea. you know, And this is again the metaphor back and forth. She doesn't realize, the Lord says, that it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the wine, the olive oil, the silver and the gold. But she took everything that I gave to her and she gave it all as gifts to Baal. Everything that God gifted you with, this woman that was to marry a preacher, has now been given away to the devil. Isn't it interesting? We see so many talented, gifted people in the world that were gifted by God, but then used those gifts 
to give to the devil, to give to the world, to use to bring glory to themselves and not glory to God. The Lord says that Gomer is going to face some consequences for her sin. But now I will take back my ripened grain and the new wine I generously provided each harvest season. I will take away the wool and linen clothing clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. This is the redemptive chastisement of God. It is God bringing Gomer to a place to turn her heart back to Him. I will put an end to, now, now we go to Israel, to her annual festivals, new moon celebrations, Sabbath days, all over a pointed festival. I will destroy her grapevines and fig trees, things she claims her lovers gave her. I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit. I will punish her for those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. Here's Gomer running headlong as fast and she can and as far away as she can from Hosea, running into thorns, running on empty, running down to nothing. She continues to sink until she hits bottom. And it's interesting to note that God does not enable Gomer or Israel in their sin. Hosea doesn't keep providing for Gomer while she's running away. Just as the father who gave the prodigal son his inheritance, did not chase him to the pig pen. And when you enable someone who is running from God, you only prolong them from hitting the bottom. This is a practical lesson that is hard to learn, but is the example of God in Scripture. The prodigal does not come to himself until he is at the end of himself. Gomer is much the same. Well, as the consequences of sin and Israel, you can see both of these things playing out in parallel themes. Gomer in the natural and Israel in the spiritual. And when I say spiritual, there are all kinds of physical sins involved in Israel. And Gomer comes to the dead end street. You know, the Bible said, these are the words of Jesus, I believe John 10 and 10. The thief cometh not but for to kill and to steal and to destroy. That is his sole purpose in your life, for the life of a person away from God, is to strip them of everything. But here's what God does. Hosea chapter 2, 14. I'm reading uh, on the New Living Translation. But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and will speak tenderly to her there. So I want you to see the two actions of God. The first action of God is to remove all the props from Gomer's life. To put thorns there. So that she feels the consequences of her sin. So on the negative side, there is a motivation to make life miserable to turn her heart back to God. But God's direct action is to speak comfortably, the King James says, tenderly to her. He is wooing her. I will return her venues to her. And I will transform the valley of trouble or the valley of Achor. I love the way the King James poetically says it. For in the valley of Achor or trouble, a door of hope. Right in the middle of the worst day in your life for a sinner, for a backslider, for a person running away from God, there is a door that God gives that says there is a way back. The Lord says, she will give herself to me there as she did long ago when I delivered her from Egypt when she was young. When that day comes, she will, says the Lord, you will call me husband instead of master. It's interesting in, uh, in this idea that somehow Gomer had a really mixed up idea about her walk with God. Because some people only see God, you know, as the judge. They don't want to go to hell. They serve God only out of fear. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the Bible says some say by fear, pulling them out of the fire. 
It's a good reason to get started in living for God, but it is not a good way to sustain your relationship with God. At some point, you have to fall in love with your Savior, amen, and make Him your Lord. And here, you see that there was a convoluted you know, understanding in Gomer that says, you're not going to just see me as master, you're going to see me as husband. There's a relationship of love here that you never understood. You had an adulterous heart from day one. The Lord says, O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips, and you will never mention them again. On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all the weapons of war from the land, swords and bows, so you can live unafraid. And the Lord says, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice and unfailing love and compassion. And I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will finally know me as Lord. The text that I read tonight in the King James are those same verses. And I will be trothy unto me forever. Yeah, I will be trothy unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even be trothy unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. This is God's plan to bring Israel back to Him. It is God's plan for Hosea to bring his wife Gomer Back to him. Hosea lost his wife. Maybe one legitimate child, you know, as we call it. Two not. Whereas kids, havoc is being wreaked in Israel. But the story is not over there. The story isn't over with Gomer running wild. Gomer coming to the end of herself. The story continues in Hosea chapter 3. The Lord speaks to Hosea the prophet because God is in the redemption business. He's in the saving business. So he tells Hosea, Go yet love a woman, be loved of her friend, yet an adulteress. Hosea, this might be the hardest assignment I've ever given you in your life. I want you to go show love to the woman who has deserted you betrayed you and been unfaithful to you. She is yet or continues to be an adulteress. And I want you to love her according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and they love flagons of wine. So here is Gomer, used, abused, She's merchandise that has been used over and over and over. And somehow in Hosea chapter 3, Gomer has been kind of kicked to the curb. She must not be worth anything to her last master. She is now for sale. She is a slave. And somebody's through with her, used her up. So she's on the auction block. And I don't know how it happened. We don't have the details. But I can imagine that the auctioneer goes through the daily offerings of slaves to be bought. And finally he comes to this woman, Gomer. In my mind, I see her with lines in her face. I don't see her as real pretty at that moment. I see her as beat down to nothing. Her head is down. Her eyes are fixed in a hollow stare. She's angry and she's hurting, but she's still kind of like determined, you know, to keep running. Well, she has nowhere to go. You know, people think, they say, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live it. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live my life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. But the Bible is pretty plain that you cannot serve two masters. You're going to serve God or mammon, or the the owner of that, the world. You know, you can't ride the fence. You have to make up your mind. And in Gomer's mind, she walks away saying, I'm going to live my life. But guess what? She's now a slave. And isn't it interesting? It's just, it's in a terrible way, intriguing to me, that the nature of sin is addictive. 
whether it is nicotine, drugs, alcohol, pornography, sexual addiction. The nature of sin is not just to sin and walk away. It is to sin and to grab you and hold you so that you are a slave to sin. Paul spoke about this. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I'm a prisoner. I want to do the right thing, but I cannot do it. The law of sin has captured me. Here is is Gomer. She is not her own. She is not free to do what she wants to do. You know that you never believe the people who say, I can quit any time. I can walk away any time. Sure, walk away for a day. And the physical, chemical, psychological, spiritual addiction will reel you back in. Because it has a hold on you. There's Gomer. For sale. The bidding starts. Price for her life slowly, slowly goes up. You're standing there. I don't know what expression is on her face. And Gomer hears a familiar voice in the crowd of people bidding for her. She hears the voice. Of her husband Hosea, her legal husband. Cannot imagine what is going through her mind. Maybe she's looking away. Maybe she's humiliated. Maybe she's somewhat angry. What does he want with me? You know how people feel when they're condemned? God doesn't want me. Not after what I've done to him. I've gone too far. That's what the devil would try to make you think. I can never be faithful to him again. Not after all that I've done. But nonetheless, Gomer stands there hearing Hosea continue to bid on his wife. I don't know if there's a bidding war or not. But finally, at the end of the the auction, Hosea is the proud owner of Gomer. And he has purchased her with 15 pieces of silver and an omer and a half of barley. An omer and a half was about 9.4 bushels or 88 and a half gallons if you would measure it like that of barley. And 15 shekels of silver. Some commentators say that if you added them together it might have equaled 30 pieces of silver or the price of a slave. Or the price that Judas took to sell our Lord. So Gomer is sold to the highest bidder. Her husband, Hosea. She is not worth 30 pieces of silver to anyone else. And you know the value of something is only determined by what a person is willing to pay for it. And to Hosea, of course he's obeying the Lord, but that's his wife. And the Lord is saying to Hosea, remember, I want you to love a woman who's adulterous after the love of the Lord for Israel. He's kind of saying, Hosea, this is not the kind of natural love that any man would have for a woman who has done him that way. But my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. My ways are higher than your ways. My mercies are greater than your mercies. So I want you to demonstrate a love for her that typifies my love for my people Israel. For it is beyond human love. It is relentless love of God. And I remembered today this song that Joan Ewing wrote and Brother Merle Ewing sang. Just an old rejected relic. Remember that? On in the auction block, they decided to throw me away. The auctioneer asked, who will take her? The room was quiet and still. Then a stranger stepped forward. Some lyric lines on the internet say, 
till Jesus stepped forward. But I remember Brother Ewing singing, Till a stranger stepped forward, and he said, I will. If you had known me before I knew him, you would understand why I love him. If you had known me before I knew him, you would understand my love. The second verse says, I had not much to offer, just heartache and pain and a life that was filled with despair. For my rags he gave me riches. For my fears he traded peace. For my whole life he gave me a blessed release. Hosea takes Gomer back home with him. I thought it was awesome. I love the song that our worship team did on Sunday and Sean did a great job. You thought I was worth saving, so you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping, so you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die for, so you sacrificed your life, so I could be free. This is the relentless love of God. And only God, only God could love us like that. That is what we know about the relentless love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. John 1 and 10 said, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, And the world knew him not. He came to his own and his own received him not. Can you imagine the rejection of Jesus Christ by his own people, the Jewish nation? Isaiah 53 told us that he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. We valued him not. The very people that he created and called his own played the harlot and were unfaithful to him just like Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea. But as Paul would say, but God who is rich in mercy wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, even when we were on the auction block, even when there were no other bidders. He loved us. In Romans 9-11, through Paul speaks in really difficult terms, challenging terms about the work of God in Israel and how Israel was cast away so we could be saved. Romans 11-25, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. He's telling this Gentile church, don't get too cocky about God's love for you. Let me tell you some things about God. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. I preached about this just in passing on Sunday, but this is a very fascinating verse. Because there will be a last Gentile in the church dispensation to come in and the fullness of the Gentiles, and the Lord will turn back to national Israel. But Paul said, And so all Israel, or national Israel, shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. The Lord is saying, I know you can't comprehend this, that these Jewish people who are your enemies right now, enemies of the cross, enemies of Jesus Christ, enemies of the church, they don't get this. But God is saying, I love them like Hosea loved Gomer. I love them like I loved Israel in the Old Testament, and my hand is still on them. For the gifts... And calling of God are without repentance. The Lord is saying, what I designed for Israel, I will carry out. For as ye in time past have not believed God, He said, don't forget now. There was a time when you were away from God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Because they rejected me, you have an opportunity to be saved. 
Even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Romans eleven thirty three on the screen. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. If you want to know what that verse means, take it in context. That if you, you cannot wrap your brain around God loving people like he loves people. From Genesis to Revelation, he is in a relentless pursuit of man. From the garden where he says, where are you? To Revelation where he knocks on the door of the church and says, if any man hear my voice, let him open the door and I will come in. Now the motive of my message tonight is because for Four messages I've borne down, or three messages kind of bore down that we should have a relentless pursuit of God. And I tried last week to give a how-to. Take out the ashes, put another log on the fire. Not something you can sustain with willpower alone. You've got to deal with sin and anger and burnout and all of that. You've got to take out the ashes. But just in case you feel like you can't get up to speed with relentless. Tonight my message is to relax a little bit. That's why I had them sing, we would never typically do this, a new song just before I preached. Because it is the relentless love of God. That's why I said it never fit the last few weeks because I was talking about our pursuit of Him. But that song in my message tonight is talking about God's amazing grace and love for us. See, I've learned that he who gives the most, loves the most. And it is God who has the most invested in this relationship. It is God who came to us when we were dead in sins. that We could not redeem ourselves. Amen? And we know we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot. He's got a whole lot more invested in the relationship than you do, than I do. Don't ever think. Don't ever think that the first thing on his mind when you stumble and fall or have a bad day or question things is that he's ready to disown you and discard you. For at the cross... He paid the price for your sins to redeem you, to buy you back, to make you his own, to say, I have betrothed you to me in faithfulness. I will be your God and you shall be my people, saith the Lord. He always has been and always will be the initiator of the relationship. He created us. He pursued us. He redeemed us. And He continues to be at work in us. As Paul told the Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it, will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is not wishy-washy about His love for you. His love is unflagging and faithful. He has never backed off. If Jesus Christ would die for our sins... To pay the price of his life. I love what Paul said to the Roman church in Romans 8 and 32. He that spared not his son, but delivered him up for us all. That's the greatest thing. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Do you think he would go to the cross and then not take care of the battles that you're facing in your life? Do you think he would ransom your soul and not provide for your daily needs? Do you think he would give himself for you to die for your sins and then abandon you in the process? I say no. He will freely give us all things. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. psalmist said his thoughts toward us cannot be reckoned together. They are more than can be numbered. In Psalm 103, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pitieth His children. So the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field. So he flourisheth, for the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to them that fear Him, and to the righteousness unto the children's children. I'm telling you that He loves us, as Jeremiah said, with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. And Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and 13, If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. For He cannot deny Himself. Jeremiah writing in Lamentations, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. I want to assure you tonight that God is relentlessly in love and in pursuit of us. And if you're thankful for that, why don't you stand and lift your voice to Him and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for loving me, for giving your life for me. Oh, hallelujah. Let's go ahead, magnify the Lord and give Him praise today for the relentless love of God toward us. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I thank you. There are times in all of our lives when we feel as worthless as Gomer on the auction block. Tonight I hope you've been better able to kind of grasp the unconditional love of God. That He loved you on your worst day. He did not love us in our sins to leave us in our sins. We understand all that. That's another message. And my greatest motivation to serve the Lord was out of the gratitude for what He did for me. For separated as we were from Him, was a cross that brought atonement that brought atonement and we've been reconciled to him by his blood so if you would I'd like for you to 
gather with me. If you have students in the crowd or crossover choir practice, they'll be in shock if you show up now. So we've got a little time to pray tonight. So would you join me at the altar? And I want us to just open our hearts to the Lord and just say thank you to Him. And I would really like for you to just come and accept the unmerited favor of God. Know that He loves you more than you could possibly comprehend. Some of you come from homes where your family did not say, I love you, did not express love to you. Some of you felt like your whole life, the harder you've tried, the behinder you've gotten, that you never felt like you measured up and were accepted. But the Bible message is that we are accepted in the beloved. Not by our performance or our worth, but we're accepted, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the basis of God's approval of our lives, is that He does see us through the blood. And He sees us righteous as He is righteous. It is imputed righteousness. It is the righteousness of God that is given to us freely. cannot stand in the presence of God with your righteous deeds because all of our righteousness is are just filthy rags. When we stand before Him, if He was to ask us, why should I let you into my heaven? We just have one thing to say. Your blood covered me. When I turned from my sins of repentance, I was water baptized in Jesus' name. When I was filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, I obeyed God's plan of salvation. The blood of Jesus washed over my soul and cleansed me from all unrighteousness. He purchased me off the auction block and gave me value I had not in myself. Would you just worship the Lord right now again? Thank Him. The love of God. The love of God to us.